Welcome to our sixth episode of Teach Like a Pirate. I am Nicole Huff. And I'm Sylvia Ellison, coming off of laryngitis, so my voice sounds a little froggy today. Yes, we will all bear with you and give you grace. (laughs) Thank you. We are talking about enthusiasm today. Right, and this is the end of the pirate acronym. Mm -hmm. And I love that he explains that if you start with passion, you can end with enthusiasm, that those are bookends on purpose, right? You know, as as an English teacher, his word pictures make me smile a lot. (laughs) But this one was one that I really liked because he said, you know, passion you cannot fake. But enthusiasm, you must. Act as if. Even if you don't feel it, you have to act as though it is. Mm -hmm. So I think that really points to that need for teachers to be always prepared. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a lot of, as we go forward in this podcast series, I see a lot of need for planning. Yes. Like you cannot act enthusiastic about something you don't know enough about. The number of times I've written a comment about the planning it takes to do some of the things he's doing in future chapters yes. is innumerable at this point. Yep. This is also the last time we're going to use Lectio Divina for a while. Yes. So again, Lectio Divina, we pick a quote or two, discuss literally what's happening with it, and then we start looking at how that how we see that happening in the real world and other texts. And then eventually that conversation leads us to a call to action of what we want to do to become better educators. And I think as musicians, we're really excited about the call to action today. We'll get there (laughs) soon. The thing that brought me, I think the greatest enthusiasm about this chapter was at the beginning when he talked about his commitment. I know that this is a few years old, but when Dave Burgess wrote this, on page 66, he actually says, 16 years into the game, and I'm still a work in progress. And I love that as teachers, sometimes I think we forget that we are the lead learner in a classroom. Yeah. And I get, I think my enthusiasm comes authentically because I try to create situations where students have aha moments. And when I, those light bulbs come off in a classroom, you know, in the heads mm-hmm. of kids, that's when I get excited. So when he was talking about this learning being a work in progress, I really thought what a great way that an author even has Mm -hmm. said, I still need places I can learn. He's supposed to be like a guru, right? Yes. And what he says is that he is a work in progress. He's not perfect. And that also says that everything he does takes a lot of work and effort. Yes. It's not just some canned thing that he's perfected and pulls out and he has 180 lessons in his bag because the kids today are not the same kids that he taught last year and they're going to need different things. We learned that in the relationship and rapport building chapters as well. You have to hook the kids in front of you and you have to look at the current events going on. And this is the symbiosis that this reading is creating within us. We both underlined that and both had the same kind of aha about it. I had written, this is what it means to be a lifelong learner out to the side. And it calls back another chapter in here as well. There's this allusion or allegory almost to other parts of the book, the six word story. Mm. You know, it's not easy Uh, He doesn't just pull it out and do it. He is still a work in progress. He is still thinking about how to do that. And we have to refine that in all of our lessons too. It doesn't matter if I have just spent 
a long time in a class learning and thinking about how to create a tiered unit that will end up in a close reading and get kids all the way from, you know, an initial question on the board through an eventual essay with text and everything else. And it doesn't matter that I've spent a lot of time doing that. If it falls flat with the kids this year, then I have to tweak it. I'm still a work in progress and there's more work to do. Right. And I think it's happened for every teacher is, you know, that what you plan all the hard work that you planned didn't have the goal didn't reach the goal you wanted or didn't achieve the level of enthusiasm maybe mm-hmm. that you expected perhaps i needed to ask some different questions or and then in, right. and invest more enthusiasm in it as well so i think it's like it remind me of teach like a champion with Douglas mob when when he says that without apology, right? That mm-hmm. sometimes we start a lesson that we've planned extensively and we make one comment like, we have to do this one because, right? Yeah, or, and it tanks so much of what you've done exactly. because your enthusiasm is not and, there and your kids see it as that pill we talked about before. Right, and I love that technique reminder because all that hard work you put in and then the enthusiasm is there, but now you've crashed it you know Mm -hmm. i love that he says on page 69 that if you when you act enthusiastic you actually start to really feel and become enthusiastic because of your breath pattern the way you're holding moving your body so i kind of thought of that idea that one steps one step creates a moment Mm -hmm. no excuse me one step is a moment that creates a momentum Mm -hmm. right so i think that one act of enthusiasm can spiral There's a YouTube video about this that became a TED Talk about the first follower and how someone who does something, anything new, any sort of first run thing is a risk that you are taking. So if I stand up in my classroom dressed up in costume because we're reading uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible and I've dressed up like a witch from the trials, person who lives in the town, as many of them were not really witches, but a person who lives in the town, I've decorated my room and my kids come in and think that I'm a little bit crazy for this, but I do it the first follower that I get, the first other teacher who uses an opportunity to dress up, or the first kid buys in and doesn't say, Miss Huff, I have a question, but rather, well, Pilgrim John or Pilgrim Mary or whatever my persona's name is. What about and addresses me as the character? They're my first follower. And that person, that takes courage as well and enthusiasm and that that first follower does help to create a movement because otherwise I'm just out there being crazy all on my own. But if I get right. one person to buy in, more are likely to join. So your first follower is really key in anything you're doing. That act as if, even if you use it as a plant, talk to a kid in the hall and be like, hey, I'm going to do something. It's a little funny. Would you right. do me a favor and play along? If you can get a first follower for buy-in, all of your acting as if pays off. Exactly. And you don't have to go so far as don't you know wear the costume and character, but even the set the mood right Mm -hmm. dim your lights i saw in a science classroom uh, you can get them i think on amazon but these coverings that that kind of drape i've seen a lot of teachers use them they're like curtains for your lights right if you could find some black ones just Mm -hmm. to dim the lights to make it 
just changing things up, putting some music so that right in the background from the time period of the novel you're reading. If you are discussing social justice and things like that, if you bring in some of those 1960s and 70s right. Cat Stevens kind of ballad folky protest songs, you set the mood. I think that science teachers have it easy. I mean, you think about transformation. You walk in as a teacher dressed in like, and you throw on a lab coat. You've mm-hmm. immediately transformed yourself from a teacher to a scientist, right? So have you ever heard Dorina, whose last name is changed now? Uh, she was the teacher of the year from Orlando. Have you ever heard her speak? Yes, I have. Uh, and she comes in as a lab coat, her lab yes, coat. Yes, she puts on a lab coat and she teaches uh, ESOL, English as a second language, or English for speakers of other languages. Right. And she teaches typically underachieving in our educational system students. And they often feel like less than. And she comes in in this coat, and she calls it her doctor's coat. And she is there as that because she is the the one who's going to diagnose the problem and treat it. And she is treating the profession. uh, She's treating the kid, and she is getting them to see this as a professional thing. And she says that when they become proficient in English that she will embroider their name on the back of her lab coat for the year so that it's almost like a wall of fame and she walks around campus in it with the names of her kids who can now speak the language and be included embroidered and emblazoned on the back of her coat. I love that. I, it's funny. I remember her speaking and in my mind, I remembered her as a science teacher and you're right. She wasn't a science teacher. That was her persona. Mm-hmm. That was her enthusiastic move to engage those students in learning. How fantastic was that? Oh, that's funny. So what that reminds us, it sends, actually sends us to our quote perfectly. Yes. It says down on page 70, we decided that our quote was, what you choose to attend to creates your reality. And, and so, and then later on it says, so don't choose to focus on negative and destructive thoughts with your brain. The idea here is to capitalize on your strengths. I probably could never dress up in costume. That would make me so uncomfortable that right. I could not even fake enthusiasm. However, can I decorate my room and establish the mood You're and the lighting? You're good at decorating a room. Right. <laughs> I could do those things to set the tone of the room, mm-hmm. up, and I could take a lot of pride and joy. So instead of trying to overcome my discomfort of putting on a costume... Although a lab coat is exciting me now. I could do the lab coat. I could rock a lab coat. Um, <laughs> I think that by capitalizing on his strength, I was watching Wimbledon this week. I'm not good with names, to be honest, but there's a, one of the announcers who was Andre Agassi's coach, and he said, he was talking about a tennis player that he was either working with or watching, and the person was practicing one, a skill that they get high marks in all the time. I mean, their stats are rocking in on that section mm-hmm. or in that piece. And they kept pl- practicing that. And he made the comment of, I don't know if he made it to the kid, to person or to um, himself, but he said he needs to focus on this. Like, let's say his backhand splice is a mess. He needs to focus on that instead of this forehand that he always, you know, gets uh, point, wins points with. 
And the next day, the kid went out and played a match and won this like record-winning number of points on this one skill that he'd been practiced all day the day before. And um, the skill he was already good at. The skill he's already good at, right? And the the announcer said, "I am now a, a believer in capitalizing on your strengths, mm-hmm. and and continue to because." And he says, "I've seen players who have these amazing serves." And they go to practice. They practice that backhand slice, mm-hmm. and um, and they don't do it really well. And they're still practicing it because it's their area of focus. And they the next day, the next match, they can't get a serve in. Like they don't AC serves because they they lost focus mm-hmm. on what their strengths are. And that's how Dave Burgess ends this paragraph with the focus on what empowers you. And mm, yes. as we think about our own classrooms, this so calls to mind kids who check out books that they've read a hundred times before and they read it every year because that's what they love and this is where they feel comfortable and where they feel empowered and they're good at reading that book. They don't want to spend time in in our reading classrooms. They fight us every time we ask them to read the dry passages that are FSA related because they didn't have success there. Most of the kids in our junior, senior reading classes are kids who have, they're there because they failed the test. And so when we give them passage after passage and skill after skill of what they are not good on, good at, they believe they're not good at anything. And that is their mindset. If we can harness this, this enthusiasm, and instead sprinkle in something they are good at and use a text that we know they love, that they've already read and enjoy and feel successful with, and find a way to teach some of the skills they're lacking with that text. You know, if I can bring in some of my graphic organizer thinking skill things to get us to writing and what with a text that I know they're comfortable with and love, I'm probably going to have more success because they are spending time where they feel empowered. Right. It's like you're a runner, but I, and I'm not, right? But I know that if I needed to train for a 5K, mm-hmm. that's a goal future. I don't know how far the future okay. it is, but getting out right now, and for those of you who don't know, it's in the middle of July in Florida. No, yeah, it's not exactly. a good idea to start then. <laughs> right, because the heat exhaustion alone, I would be so uncomfortable. Right. That I wouldn't make it to the driveway, right? You start when it's dark outside in winter so that it is cold and it feels good to warm your body up. Or I start in the gym, just walking on a treadmill where there's air condition. Now I can can do the air condition. And you do intervals. Correct. Just a little bit of running and then I can walk. So that it's a smaller stretch and I can spend some time on the walking that... Makes me feel empowered. Right. It makes me feel good about it. It mm-hmm. makes me feel good about the exercise. It makes me feel good about the movement. Because, once again, if I feel it's one step, right? I took one step. I went to the gym. Uh-huh. I got on a treadmill. That's what I want to say. It, it, it's a moment that I create a momentum. And every step I feel, oh, I feel better. And after that 30 minutes, I go, wow, I feel good today. And then the next day I go, I'm going to do it again because I feel good today. Mm-hmm. I feel good today. 11 days makes a habit. Right. There's some research on that with exercise, which means that it takes less than two weeks to make a habit out of going and pushing yourself and right. trying. But the same is true in our classrooms. If... 
every day for the first two weeks, you've got some sort of dynamic thing planned that gets kids interested, hooked in, and engaged. You've got this enthusiasm and you create that enthusiasm in them and you make them think that this class is going to be engaging and fun and happy and worth it. Even if it's just two weeks of that, there's a habit built in now and they are willing to try and come to your class. And not only that, you're excited about their excitement, which means you're willing to do 11 more days of Mm -hmm. it or two more weeks of it. It builds and fosters. And the other point I wanted to bring up about that as well was uh, there's research in with all of the Kagan Cooperative Learning course that I looked at. And I cannot tell you specifically the author of this study. It was part of the metadata that I looked at that talks about teaching the thinking and teaching the structures without content. And Mm. this goes back to the spend the time where you're empowered. I cannot throw both challenging content and a challenging thinking strategy at students for the first time together. Right. I have to let them feel comfortable. So if I want to teach them a new structure in Kagan or a graphic organizer that can help them organize right. their thoughts from Chris or anything else, I have to start with a team building thing, a question that or they're even, going to use. Or, or even, even a, a simplified text right. like the giver or the giving tree. Yes. If I use a kid's story that I know they love and that they makes them feel warm and fuzzy because it's part of our culture and everybody knows it and we're going to retell the three little pigs today or whatnot. Right. If I can teach them how to do a compare and contrast organizer with a story like that so that they then feel comfortable with a compare and contrast organizer, the next day I can give them a more difficult text but pull out the organizer they feel empowers them and I'm now stretching them. So So I teach kind of one at a time and I take different steps. We have a left foot and a right foot and we use both of them. So I love the twist this conversation has had in that enthusiasm is not just about feeling like you're going to a party every day, right? Right. It's about finding the the activity, finding the... um, the feature mm-hmm. in your lesson plan and your content that is that could help students feel good about themselves, right? So enthusiasm doesn't mean that I have to dress up like a pirate, no pun intended, <laughs> to get them to want to go on a journey with me. It could also be about finding the location or the goal mm-hmm. that gets them to want to go on a journey, right? I so, love that. So like in a reading class... They're in a junior senior reading class when they haven't failed, they haven't passed the state standards mm-hmm. or the graduation requirement. Their goal is this graduation stage, right? Sure. So my my role as the teacher is to find what's going to get them on that journey to that goal, right? And and dressing up as a character may not be, but, but where do you feel successful? You've had correct. success with this. How can I build on that? Because success breeds enthusiasm. We all like to feel successful. So I think that leads us to our call to action. Yes. I alluded to this earlier that we are both musicians. As English teachers, we both also love the clever (laughs) wordplay. Yes. Um, So 
I'm gonna that let, is present in music as well because exactly. that's how you create rhythm. <laughs> so I'm going to let you read the first part of it because you, you read it earlier and I'm afraid I will mess it up. And then I'll read the second one. So the first one. we, we Yes. Liked. On page 71 in Spread the Virus, our call to action is become a beacon of bliss amidst a bastion of boredom and banality. Oh, I love that. And then followed it with Carlos Santana said, there is nothing more contagious on this planet than enthusiasm. The songs become incidental. What people receive is your joy. And he and he said, as a teacher, he would tweak it to, the lessons become incidental. Mm-hmm. What people receive is your joy. And I think as an enthusiastic teacher, I have to find joy in everything. And, and I, that's why I referenced earlier. I can't focus on the negative things that are going on. Mm-hmm. My students don't need to know that I'm unhappy with my contract or I'm unhappy with my pay or that I'm frustrated with my working conditions or that my colleague and I disagreed. They don't need to know any of that. Right. Um, when it comes to involving kids in learning, they need joy. They need to spread. It needs to spread like a wildfire through our school. They need to know that this is supposed to be a good thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. That learning is positive. Yes. It's great. There's so much noise out yes. there. Yes. But if we could tune it and find the spot where we are in that room with those kids and the light bulb goes on. Yes. That is the joy and enthusiasm that we want to spread. So there's, I think, that when, what do you do when the noise, I love how you said the noise, is you feel like it's drowning you. You need to find what enthusiasm you have. So for me, when I'm feeling like life is crashing around me, I'm going to go put on some positive music because that's going to lift me out of my doldrums, right? This is the eat, pray, love phenomenon that she talks Mm. in that book about finding your joy and going and doing what makes you happy and what fills your soul. And that's the same thing he's saying. And if we can make education a place of joy for kids, think of all they can accomplish individually and as a society what great new inventions are out there waiting to be discovered by some kid who had a love of tinkering with stuff and therefore discovered and made some great breakthrough so as our call to action let's share our joy in lessons how have you infused joy into a classroom experience Tell us your stories. Leave us a two-minute voicemail. You can do that by recording an audio message on your phone and emailing it to us at ctechpodcasts at gmail.com. You can participate in our slow chat on Twitter with the hashtag ctechpodcasts. You can comment on Podbean. We'd love to hear from you. Final thought? I am so excited that we've finished the acronym. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's on enthusiasm and joy. I love the I love the transition we made to joy. I'm excited now that we've gotten the why. So now let's look at the how in our next episode. That's a great idea. Thank you. We look forward to hearing from you next time.